Hi everyone, I'm Jada Burt and this is In My Tracks. You know that feeling when a song comes on and it's so good that it feels like you're frozen in time? Well, that's what this podcast is all about. Songs that stop me in my tracks. I chat with musicians about their inspiration, process, and challenges. And you discover your new favorite songs. Spencer Merck is a Cincinnati-based trombonist that plays until he is blue in the face. Literally. He is also a composer, arranger, and educator. Last year was a big year for Spencer. Not only did he win the International Trombone Association's J.J. Johnson competition for jazz trombonists under the age of 25, but he also released his debut album, Last Place in a Bear Race, in November of 2022. A body of work that I believe is the beginning of an impressive catalog. Let's get tracking. Hello and welcome to In My Tracks with Jada Bird. Today I'm speaking with Spencer Merck about his debut album, Last Place in a Bear Race. And I'm also here with his collaborators on the album. Will you all please introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Derek Johnson. I played drums on the album. Hey, my name is Ethan Marsh. I played bass on the album. And my name's Christian Paradiso, and I play a saxophone on the album. And then Ryan Jones played piano. That is a very powerful group of musicians. How do you feel now that your album is out in the world, Spencer? Uh, obviously, you know, I, I feel a lot of things, a lot of very strong and mixed emotions, but I, I would say like, uh, two of the strongest ones would be relief and pride. I'm like, you know, very proud of the work that I did and the work that everyone that worked on it did. Um, and I think it, that the finished product is a really good representation of, uh, what we were all trying to achieve. And then at the same time, you know, the process was very long and there were a lot of difficult and uh, stressful aspects of it. So now that it's out there in the world, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, relieved. I feel like I could take a deep breath. Absolutely. There, there's so much to be proud about, like debut album. The circumstances definitely weren't easy considering we're still in a pandemic, multiple people, multiple places. It's a huge accomplishment. So what's the story behind the album title? It's pretty comical. Yeah. So I've always, I don't know, I, I've heard a uh, story, this allegory for a while, that, uh, you know, there's two friends walking in the woods and they they come across a bear. And one of the friends uh, kneels down and starts praying. And then the other friend kneels down and starts tying his shoes and then the, the friend that's praying says to the other one, it's like, why, why are you tying your shoes? There's no way that you're going to be able to outrun that bear. And then he says, I don't need to outrun the bear. I need to outrun you. So I've always thought that was just, number one, funny, but <laughs> number two, a, a good allegory for how people um, approach problems, the, the way that people confront adversity. And uh, it was uh, the name of a tune first. I, I I wrote it down as a tune name first and I wrote a song with it. And then kind of when I was figuring out all the songs that were going to be on the album, I was like, I think this really um, kind of, I don't know. I think it's the most clever title and I think it's the best representation of sort of <laughs> what I was trying to say with the album. That is an interesting thing to pull an entire album from. Like, how did you come up with the concept of the album cover? It's pretty hilarious. Yeah. So I, I think that 
Well, first off, I've always loved album covers. Like, so, such a very important part of the, uh, you know, the, the package for me. Not just the music, but, like, the album cover as the visual representation of the music and sort of, like, if you're looking around in, like, the music store and you see the CD that's got a cover, it's like, oh, I want that. I don't even know what's on it, but I, I want it because the cover's cool. I've always felt that way. Um, and I've always, I mean, in the jazz world, really nothing beats those classic Blue Note album covers with, you know, just the famous images and the, uh, you know, the big, bold fonts. And it all comes together to create something that's really, you know, unique and, and really classic, those Blue Note covers. So I, I, I wanted to kind of uh, emulate that style. Um, and I, I had known about the, the image that we wanted to use for a while. I, I knew that um, the, the picture of the bear chasing the band with, with me in last place is what we wanted to do. And then I wanted the rest of the cover to be like, you know, have that blue note style where it's like a, a bold font with like some simple colors and uh as a finished product i think it like the rest of the album it's it's very um you know serious and well polished while at the same time not taking itself too seriously and having a, a humorous and uh, playful element to it what are some of the album covers that inspired you i know you mentioned blue note covers um, but do you have any specific ones that you'd like to share? Put me on the spot. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what like one of the first jazz albums that I ever really got into, especially from a trombone player, was Curtis Fuller's uh, "The Opener," and it's just got this black and white image on it, where he's just you know just a candid image taken during a recording session. Um, but just the way that, you know, the way that they've got the contrast and everything, it's just, you can really feel it, it puts you in, you know, the studio with those musicians and you, you feel like you're a part of history just by, you know, looking and getting lost in this album cover. And then, you know, they've got the name of the album, the opener, um, in this really cool font with just, you know, simple red, uh, coloring. And it's doesn't, it doesn't take up a lot of space. It's just sort of like the focus is definitely on the image. And uh, I think that's something that I tried to copy a little bit with this because the image is certainly, you know, it speaks for itself. It's the, it's the attention grabber. It's a memorable album cover for sure. I know. I know. I, I definitely got a chuckle out of it when I saw it. But there are a lot of intriguing song titles throughout the album, such as Shrek Song and Mr. Kong. What inspired you to make pop culture references in your song titles? Yeah, well, um, ever since I was a kid, I've, I've loved stories and I've loved characters. And I've always appreciated songs that told stories or, or had distinct characters in them. So I think that during this time in my life where I was really trying to figure out how to, you know, write music, um, having a specific character or a certain story in mind was really um, helpful in directing the mood of that piece, for sure. Like in Shrek's song, I always uh, envisioned that as like Shrek and Fiona in the in the 60s, like going on a date, like 
you know, picking Fiona up in the convertible, going to the malt shop and watching a drive-in movie. Like, or uh, with Mr. Kong, it's like, I know this is ridiculous, but Donkey Kong is a, like a Wall Street banking executive who's like, you know, saving and ruining lives every day <laughs> on, on the floor of the Wall Street. It's like, just just having that picture in your mind is, is helpful when you're making compositional decisions. It takes what we already have in the modern age, like our current version of Shrek and our current version of, you know, the Mario Kart character, um, Donkey Kong, and you're making it your own. And it's interesting to think about those characters that way since they're, um, since your pieces aren't lyrical. It gives more to more to chew on. Um, but what initially inspired you to write these songs and ultimately create an album rather than release a bunch of singles? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, uh, we did release one single, uh, release Muffins as sort of a, um, like a, a taste of the album. And we, I think we released it two weeks before the, the album. And I thought that was really cool and also kind of funny because if you listen to the whole song uh, if you listen to the whole album muffins is like completely different than the entire rest of the album yeah so that really plays into i guess what my overall goal for releasing a, a total package for the album was um recording something that everyone could enjoy like regardless of their their background or how old they are or anything like that i wanted it to be something that had stuff that everyone would like if you like you know classic like swing jazz if you like blues if you like modern kind of electronic stuff if you like smoother things like i i wanted to release just one album that had a little bit of everything on it covered a lot of bases while still like being cohesive and that's really hard to do um what did the process of writing and recording the album entail you have a lot of collaborators and they're all in different places um so what did that process look like so um luckily i i consider this a great privilege is that the people that I work with and I'm, I'm talking mostly about these guys uh, they they respect me as a composer and they're also great musicians so if I if I put something in front of them and I say hey play this they'll do it like regardless of how difficult or seemingly nonsensical it is they, they always find a way to do it and because I respect them if if they come to me with certain you know suggestions or if they have a new idea about taking something in a different direction in the song, um, that can take a, you know, that, that can become a new addition through collaboration. I think a, a good example of that was on um, the track that we're going to talk about today, Smooth Cruise. Um, during the solo sections, you can hear during both me and Christian solo, there's a rhythm section break. Um, where the soloist is kind of by themselves for a little bit. And then the rhythm section comes back in on a figure that we had already played in the melody. That was just something that I think Ryan just threw out as an idea. It's like, Hey, let's try this. And it didn't even do that until the actual recording session. And we did it and it sounded great. And it made the album, 
But uh, I guess the the big secret is, you know, playing these songs as a group over time in different places and different situations. That way you can really let the songs um, sort of sort themselves out. And if people have ideas or something sounds better one way or, you know, um, just, you know, playing the songs live enough where you know how they're supposed to go. It really shows in the finished product that like collaboration was was valued and I could tell like many ideas were put together, like many thoughts went into all of the songs. How did you know when each song was complete? I can only imagine how long it took to kind of finalize each song since there there's so much going on. Yeah, well, there's a lot of just like constraints and administrative factors that go into that decision. Like um, when you record in a studio, you know, you have a certain amount of time that you're allowed to be there, a certain amount of time that you paid for. So uh, it happens sometimes where there's a song where it's like, well, we don't have as much time to spend on this one. So if uh, this is the take that we like, maybe we could have gotten another one, but we don't have time. So let's move on. Um, Luckily, I don't feel like that came into play too much on this session, but since it's there's 11 tracks on the album, we had a lot of ground to cover. So there were some songs where it's like, all right, we got two or three good takes of this. We got to move on. Um, but really just knowing when a song is supposed to end is it's a difficult um, thing as a composer, because, you know, sometimes you just have a lot of ideas and it's easy to just keep piling stuff on, piling stuff on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's a it's an underappreciated skill for composers knowing where to end your song. And I feel like all these songs on these album on this album have a clear, you know, beginning, middle and end and everything sounds really natural. There's nothing that really runs on or um, the opposite of that feels, you know, too short. It's interesting that you brought up the point that sometimes it's out of your control whether or not a song is complete because you have to move on and deal with the time that you've paid for the time you have left so what was the most challenging song to complete given those constraints well i'd certainly i'd be very interested to hear everyone's take on this but for me the obvious answer is scene of the crime just because of the um there's a lot of individually technically challenging parts on there as well as some really tricky parts to play as an ensemble so scene of the crime is definitely the most difficult in my book but what do you guys think yeah i definitely oh i definitely i definitely second that uh i remember like i mean between like the whole like harpsichord thing and then like me like switching bases and then like I'm like doing like the classical thing for a second like that definitely took the most time and effort to complete uh, but it was worth it I can get behind that as well just a lot of like counting and listening and making sure that we're all like in the same spot while navigating like as Spencer said like the technical demands of all those things I'd say a quick shout out to how difficult uh, Bonnie McMurray is just because there's a whole bunch of notes. But, yes. you know, oh, yeah, the crime one. for sure. 
Yeah, Bonnie McMurray is pretty insane because of all the uh, different style changes as well. Um, like, cause you hear like the, the end there, like the melody, and then you get to the solos and you're just in a completely different space. But I would say, uh, I don't know, probably scene of the crime is the hardest. I know Derek had to take a really, uh, I, I've always thought this was funny how, as you know, horn solos in my tunes are usually over pretty reasonable changes and styles but every time i write a drum solo into one of my songs it's over a very difficult uh vamp and on scene of the crime the drum solo at the end of that certainly uh is in, is yeah. in line with that statement he's, absolutely he's playing over different time signatures and really off beat like hits but he crushes it oh one of my you, favorite man. moments from the album I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, you all said the same song, so that's that's pretty interesting. Was anybody close to quitting <laughs> because of that one? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, you got to accept the challenge. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> and then, always, yeah. <laughs> what did you say? No, nah, it's always just fun to accept Spencer's challenges. His music is always <laughs> so hard sometimes to play, like Scene of the Crime and Last Place in a Bear Race. Um, there's a few other ones on the album too, like Bonnie McMurray too, especially. But like, uh, there's one I wanted to say real quick, Q's Blues or Quarantine's Blues. Mm -hmm. um, I have a funny little thing about that. The first time we played that, uh, I didn't really realize it, but it's like a 13 bar blues. And I got lost pretty much instantly like, in the form of the song. So <laughs> I was playing really, really poorly throughout it and very lost and everybody's looking at me like, what are you doing, man? Where are you at? And everything. It, but Spencer just writes like, sometimes they're just simple, but but very challenging differences, like stuff you wouldn't expect. So I appreciate that about his writing. Makes for great music, of course. With that being said, what were some of the most memorable parts of working on this album? We mentioned time constraints um, in the studio, um, difficult compositions. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to know what it was like actually putting it together in the time that you had. I thought that um, everyone was really efficient and well prepared, and we were able to focus pretty much exclusively on the music. So a, a lot of the memorable moments informative moments in in my recollection are just times when even though we were in the recording studio which is a pretty like sterile and difficult environment to be creative in we were still making really cool music and having these really nice musical and creative moments together which was kind of the first time i had experienced that in a studio environment was on this album so just just moments like that where you know you finish a take and it's like wow that's like that actually sounded good. Go us. You know? <laughs> Does anyone else have any memorable moments from putting this together? Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, Christian. I'm going to hop in here real quick. Um, yeah, I remember actually rehearsing was probably the most memorable. I remember there was a there was a very, like, blizzardy type of Cincinnati evening one time. Oh, yeah. I remember I walked to your house with my bass, and I almost, like, slipped on ice three times. And, like, I got there, and I was like, all right. And we shedded it out. And it was good and like it felt good it was like I, I have that image like very uh 
implanted in my memory, I can go there. So, uh, yeah, that was my favorite. I'm glad you didn't die. Me too. <laughs> yeah, ice is rough. It's icy. It's icy. Yeah, for sure. Going along the same lines, I, I, I would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the actual act of taking the picture that is on the front. <laughs> the album. Absolutely. It, we, it definitely was in terms of just like difficult things or things that took the most time. It was like, this was the thing. It's like, it took us <laughs> so many tries to get this picture correct, but it was very worth it. And it was like, and, you know, just uh, the, the weather and everything, yeah. like all of us freezing, just like yelling at <laughs> each other, like, no, you need to run slower. All this <laughs> great stuff. It was, it was really fantastic and quite memorable. <laughs> Yeah, it was Do you very remember cold the little kid? Oh remember, my god! There's gosh. like a little kid with his mom that that walked past. We just took it <laughs> in the alley behind the studio downtown, and there's this little kid that came by with his mom while we were taking the picture, and he thought that the our friend in the bear costume was like some mascot, so he came over, and like <laughs> we were already pressed for time trying to take this picture. It was frustrating. It was so cold, and this little kid's like. <laughs> coming over to take pictures with this oh my random gosh. dude in the inflatable bear costume. Yeah. Hilarious. Get away from me. Yeah. <laughs> Typical kids. <laughs> so uh -huh. funny. That is hilarious. Thinking further about the process of making this album, what did you learn about yourselves while working on it? There's a lot going on, so I'd love to know how you feel now that it's out in the world and you can kind of like look back on that time I definitely learned a lot about how I handle uh, long term projects learned a lot of let's say unsavory things about how I handle long term projects it's like there's so many things looking back now it's like man you could have shaved two months off of this thing if you just like did this when you decided to do it. Or it's like, you know, um, a lot of things I was dragging my feet on or maybe was a little bit inefficient. Um, so, like, with this being the first album, I, I can tell you right now, the next one is going to be a lot more streamlined from the administrative process. And it's like, I feel like I know what to do now. And just, you know, a lot of new things that I, you know, I'd never learned about in school or I had never experienced myself, like, um, you know, performance rights or, uh, you know, physical copies or uploading and streaming and royalty splits and all this, like a lot of technical music business type things that this was really the uh, my first opportunity to learn about all of it. So uh, I, I guess if I'm saying what I learned about myself, I learned that. Uh, I I could be a lot more proactive and uh, efficient on the administrative side, and also, even when you know, um, you're faced with a bunch of new challenges and things you don't know about, if you if you believe in, you know, the if you believe in your finished product, then you'll you'll do what it takes to make it happen, even though it's scary and difficult. Definitely learning cool music was such a fun part. You know, like going back on what I said earlier, like Spencer Wright's music, that is just 
completely all over the place. And, you know, as a drummer, it is, it is very hard to think about all these different styles and everything and like trying to play them like how they're supposed to sound and everything. And um, just learning how to, how to be a versatile, like for myself, being a versatile drummer on this album was, uh, was a fun experience for me. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you guys mentioned a, a lot of good things. I mean, Spencer, thinking about the business side, that is the least interesting part of the process. But it, it seems like as an artist, slap you in the face because it really matters and it can add time. It can just make things a lot more difficult because it would be nice if most of the time was spent, you know, playing and writing. It, there's just this huge beast on the outside. So I, I totally get that issue but yeah it's great that you learned from this experience and we'll be able to improve on the next album yeah i was i was lucky to have um i reached out to so many um you know colleagues and mentors before during and after the whole process so there's a lot of people who i owe a lot to but i think if i'm going to mention just one of them it's got to be brandon coleman who um really helped with this process uh, we released it on his label so he was he helped out a lot with the distribution and licensing and all that on top of uh recording the album mixing and mastering it and uh designing the uh the album cover like he he's been a gigantic help through all of this and without him all of the uh like we were saying music business stuff would have been a very difficult process so brandon coleman's the man that's awesome to have people to lean on, have people not only to lean on for advice, but to actually help you make the finished product. So what would you say the community in Cincinnati means to you as a jazz musician? Well, um, just speaking for myself, like I, I owe everything to the, the Cincinnati jazz community. Like I, I've lived in Cincinnati my whole life and certainly my whole life as a musician just everything that I've learned and like everything that I've accomplished is because I, I was brought up in this scene. All of the um, older musicians that you want to learn from are, have always been super friendly and willing to help me. Um, you know, you go out to people's gigs as a young kid and they, they notice you're there and they're, they're happy to talk to you about music. And then, when you get a little bit older and you start getting on gigs with them, they're, they're super friendly and understanding and uh, point you in the right direction for things that you need to practice and things that you need to listen to. Um, and the city itself, I think, is the perfect environment for musicians, at least for my taste, because there's um, a lot of opportunities to play a lot of different types of music. So um, I really had so many experiences playing with um, musicians that were older and better than me that just like really formed who I am as a musician. And even to this day, I mean, I cherish every opportunity I, I get to play with the, with the great musicians in this city. So I, I can't say enough good about Cincinnati. It's really cool that you said that because Cincinnati is just not the first city people think of when, you know, jazz comes to mind, but the scene is not only vibrant, but I'm able to see as a listener that the community is very tight and, like you said, helpful and just giving. 
towards each other and towards the outer community. What do you hope to like continue to bring to the jazz scene here and also the world as you continue to expand and release more music and travel and play your music everywhere? Yeah, I guess I don't really think a lot about what I'm trying to like my message as an artist or you know what i'm trying to contribute to the world i'm I'm just you know i just think about it as you know doing doing my thing doing what works for me but um i do think it's important to write record and release original music that is um meaningful to you so i definitely hope to continue doing that throughout the the rest of my career um and another thing that I really cherish is, you know, ma- making music with my friends. And sometimes, you know, that involves creating musical opportunities um, to play with my friends. So uh, that was that was one of my favorite parts about this album is like, you know, we're, we were all young musicians on the album. We're all, you know, pretty experienced, especially for our age. But we are young. So it was a good opportunity to be like, hey, let's, you know sort of show everyone what we've got at this point in time let's you know get it down on wax so to speak um sort of as a representation of our uh generation so i don't know those are those are the things that i hope to accomplish and um like i said it's not something i consciously think about as like what i'm putting out to the world but just these are the things that i enjoy doing and that i think are important Absolutely. And it's probably best not to think too much about that. Honestly, I could definitely see that interfering. It's great that you guys have each other to express your ideas and actually record and release your music. It's a wonderful thing. Hey, everyone. Hope you're enjoying getting to know Spencer and his collaborators so far. I wanted to take a little break to introduce you to some of his music. This song of his really stopped me in my tracks. It features one of the most memorable melodies of 2022. I have gotten it stuck in my head many times, and it quickly became one of my go-to songs for my late night drives because it pairs beautifully with the Cincinnati skyline. Here's Smooth Cruise by Spencer Merck. Thank you. 
Thank you. 
So I picked your song, Smooth Cruise, from the album. It was an absolute standout for me. I actually listened to this song a lot. What inspired you to write this song? Well, uh, it started as my attempt at writing a smooth jazz song. Um, it was just like a, a challenge for myself to try and write something in, in a style that I've never written in before. And it turns out it's very hard to write something that you don't have any experience really playing or listening to. Um, but it sort of got me headed in the right direction um, in terms of like the this sort of smooth, laid back kind of electronic funk and soul influence of it. Um, so that's that's kind of what, you know, what got me headed in the right direction, what, what inspired me to write it you challenge yourself to write in a style that you don't listen to. That is definitely tough, but it doesn't sound that way. So props to you guys on that one. So what did the process of writing and recording it entail? Was it as difficult to record it and kind of put it together as it was to write it since it was a new style for you? Um, so one of the things I love about Cincinnati one of the things I love about these musicians is that most of the jazz musicians that you come across are very fluent in a wide variety of styles so I mean that was very important on this album in particular but you know I, I bring this to them and I say all right Ethan you're gonna you're gonna switch from playing a stand-up upright bass to an electric bass guitar and he's able to do that with no problem and you know they tell gotta tell Derek it's like instead of, you know, playing like a, a swing, jazz or Latin groove or anything like that, you got to play, you know, like funk or a soul groove. And then R Ryan's on a different instrument as well. He switched from uh, piano to Fender Rhodes electric piano, which is a whole different beast. So um, it wasn't it might seem difficult to be able to switch between those sorts of requirements. But luckily, all, all of these musicians are professionals and are able to do it seamlessly but um in terms of writing it um this was one of one of those songs that seems one, once i got started i just kept kept going it kind of wrote itself um it's kind of funny the uh the name comes from an experience that me and christian went through uh, a few summers ago we were we were playing in this band where um we weren't they didn't refer to any of the members of the band by their uh actual names they had to you had to have a nickname that you were assigned so uh christian you care to tell them your nickname it was uh mr incredible yeah he was, he was mr incredible and then uh i uh there was there's was a man whose nickname was obama because he kind of looked like Obama. So he, he, he looked at me one one day and said, uh, man, you look like Tom Cruise, which I totally don't agree with. <laughs> no one has ever said that before or since. Um, but they gave me the name Smooth Cruise. And uh, just the way that experience sort of played out, it was a very, very um, emotional roller coaster i think christian will agree but um i i tried to communicate in the song the emotion of like 
expecting one thing, but receiving something else. <laughs> that is hilarious. What were you guys expecting from this group? We, we, it was something we expected to be a really big, potentially career-altering opportunity, um, just because of like how high-profile the uh, one of the artists was. And then we quickly found out that it was like, no, uh, <laughs> it seemed like we were the only um, rational thinkers or people that really lived in uh, reality at all. I don't know, Christian, is that putting it in a accurate way? Yeah, I, that was that was exactly how I would put it. Is it was it was presented to us as like a very bright lights, big city opportunity, but uh, it definitely got to a point where I felt like, you know, or Spencer put it very well, is like we were living in the real world and no one else around us was <laughs> doing the same. Oh, no. It's... Well, I guess it's good that you, you guys had each other because I Absolutely. imagine that would have been isolating <laughs> and possibly traumatizing so it's nice at least that you guys have that memory yeah now, now we can laugh about it and honestly if if there wasn't someone else there i don't think anyone would believe me um back to smooth cruise the melody is stunning sometimes i like have it stuck in my head i'm like yeah this is certified bop gotcha How, yeah right <laughs> how did you write it so let me think yeah so i was writing this song um in a period of my musicianship where I was really into simple and beautiful melodies. And I was just starting to get into like um, hip hop and soul music. So it was a really interesting junction of two, um, you know, styles of music that I really loved and I didn't consciously do this, but the, the, those two things kind of merged when I was writing this song. So uh, the melody itself is like, it pretty much just uses one major scale for most of it. But because of that, when you stray from that major scale and you go to a different key center, it's very um, jarring and emotional. And even if you have no idea what's going on musically, like you can feel that change. And I, I, I really, really like songs that do that, that are able to, um, take you through different moods and emotions just by a few simple things. Um, another thing that I had in my mind while I was writing it was just like, it would be cool if someone would sing this. And now I'm not, I'm not a lyric writer at all, but I, that's a good thing to keep in mind when you're trying to write a good melody or, you know, a simple melody is that someone should be able to sing this. Absolutely. Yeah. Layla Hathaway hasn't emailed me back yet, though. Oh, no. That's definitely singable. Like I said before, a standout for sure. Thinking about the placement of all of the tracks on the song, how did you know that this one was meant to be track number nine on the album the track listing or the track order was one part of this process that i completely did not expect to be as much of a pain in the butt as oh. it was like that's not something that i considered at all it's something that might be potentially challenging but man when i went to put these things in order 
it felt like I was just doing everything wrong. And like, no one's going to listen to this because you put this in the wrong order. <laughs> it was it was hard. Um, but I guess just where it landed, um, you know, I I wanted to make sure that we didn't have um, songs with, you know, similar vibes in a row. So that's why this one, you know, it's separated from maybe like Scene of the Crime or Bonnie McMurray that have more of a, um, you know, straightforward feel. But um, one of the unfortunate aspects is this is like when I look at the statistics of what who listens to the songs like this, not many people have uh, listened to this song a whole bunch. Which is, I, I thought that this would be, because of how accessible it is, I thought it would be one of the uh, more popular songs. Um, but I think because I put it so far back, people haven't listened to it as much, which I, I think is unfortunate. Yeah, listening to albums in full is a task, but it's important. I think all albums should be listened to in full. But you don't have regrets on where you placed it, right? Right. No, I don't. I don't think I have regrets with really anything on this album other than it's like man i wish you practiced the trombone more when you were in the eighth grade (laughs) yeah yeah we all hate our eighth grade selves yeah oh yeah but yeah (laughs) that that is true that's what we all have in common but how do you feel now like when you listen to the song you've had some time away from the writing and recording and now like releasing stage. So have your feelings changed at all? Like about the song? No, I still, I still love it. I love to listen to it and I love to play it. Um, and I think the main thing that I listen to now, when I, when I listen to the recording is just the groove that the rhythm section players put down, Ethan, Derek and Ryan just really locked in on this one and, and made it smooth. I don't know. I would, I would love to hear what, um, a perspective from from the rhythm section of like what it's i don't know is that does this song make sense in terms of like you know playing together is it you know is it does it feel natural when you do it yeah completely i remember it's like it's kind of like and this kind of like goes with the theme of the whole album for me and my perspective of it is like it coasts on the borderline of like cheesiness, but it's like <laughs> right in that sweet spot where it's like, okay, this is not cheesy. This groove is really hard, but it's also like, if you like took some of the feeling out of it, like it would be like, okay, this is kind of like this. I might hear this on an elevator somewhere, but like, <laughs> but no. then like you're, you're, you've got like the feeling and the intention. In it, and so it like it actually grooves. I don't know. I love grooving with Ryan and Derek and like, I, I always like remember like looking up at Ryan. And he's looking at me like, like <laughs> he's laying something down and like, ah, oh, dude, it was, it was priceless. I'll never forget that. But it's definitely yeah, always great playing with Ryan. He he is like one of the best I've ever played with when uh when it comes to interacting with you. For sure, and especially also playing with Ethan. Like it's it's so easy playing with Ethan and. You know, we've played together since we were both in high school. We we crossed paths like once or twice, and I I always remember Ethan being this like just absolutely insane musician, and I always wanted to like be on that level. And now here we are making an album with one of my other friends, and, or a lot of my other friends, and just our our paths crossing again. It's so cool. So yeah, 
a lot of respect for Ethan and Ryan. Yeah. But but yeah, going back to Smooth Cruise, that song playing like smooth jazz and playing slow grooves like that is very hard. <laughs> it's very hard. And on top of uh, on top of the fact that Spencer wrote a drum solo in at the very end of it was uh <laughs> that was definitely a bit of a different uh take you know starting the song off super quiet and chill and then going at the end and just going ham yeah you know it's almost like it wasn't what you were expecting when you started listening to it absolutely yeah i remember the first time we looked at it and i'm like oh there's a drum solo at the end of this <laughs> what in the world and the hits in that one are also kind of strange too mm-hmm. but i always fun and yeah, me definitely. and Christian get to lay it back. Yeah, mm-hmm. it comes through. It definitely comes through, like, how how well you all play together. One point in the song that is insane are the solos. Absolutely love them. Were they improvised on the spot? I know there was a place for them in the composition, but how did that work? In the in the actual song, when I give everyone the, the sheet music, it's got the spot, and it's like, this is where the solos happen. And then... Uh, if we're just playing it on a gig out somewhere, then anyone can solo on it and do whatever. But when you're in the studio, we'll we'll um, decide beforehand who's soloing where. Um, so that's decided. But when we get to that part, it's just you know the uh, the rhythm section has the the chords that they're going to adhere to, and the the soloist knows those chords and through their own training they know how to improvise over them effectively but in terms of what they're actually playing that is um spontaneous improvisation and that is something that is unique to uh jazz music and in my um opinion that's what makes jazz music so special and that's why i love playing it is that we get that opportunity to improvise that is so cool because, yeah, they sound like they were written. So in closing, really big question, which Shrek soundtrack is your favorite? All right. <laughs> I, I, I knew this question was coming. Yep. So I've got the winner. I've got second place and I've got honorable mentions. Okay. So uh, it, the winner has got to be Shrek 2 yes. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the original Shrek comes in a close second with some uh, incredible moments such as, you know, uh, what is it? Bad Reputation, one of the most incredible scenes in cinematic history, <laughs> in my opinion. Yep. But it just, I don't, I don't think you can beat Shrek 2's uh, you know, like holding out for a hero or living La Vida Loca, Funky Town, Little Drop of Poison, like accidentally in love. Just so many perfect songs that just they fit like a puzzle piece right with, you know, the film. But I would say um, my final honorable mention has to be Immigrant Song from Shrek the Third. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one never gets any love. And does, that, does anyone disagree with me shrek 2 it would be a problem if they did but go ahead right. <laughs> honestly shrek 2 the, the ending is just it's so amazing yeah and credits Agreed. whatever you just well, really can't step credits. to it 
or not the end credits. I'm sorry, but whenever they're all singing at the end. Oh, um, what's the uh, "Live and Love Viva Loca"? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you were talking about the the DVD special features, the Far Far Away Idol, starring. <laughs> of course, Simon you know Cowell. what that is. That's of another course. reason, though. That that's that's an elite <laughs> mini game right there. Yes, it is. An elite <laughs> DVD mini game. <laughs> Man, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember that one, but get hit. Man. Of course you do. Get hit. <laughs> yep. Does anybody? So nobody disagrees. Nice guys. No. Okay. Awesome. No, yeah. Not. Taste. Taste. Yep. We love Shrek too over here. Um. So, this was so much fun. I had. I enjoyed uh, learning more about this album, Last Place in a Bear Race, and Smooth Cruise, and learning more about how you all worked together and made such an amazing album. So where can people find you um, and, you know, stream the album, buy the album? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on my website, spencermerkmusic.com. Um, you can find the album on uh, any streaming service. It's called Last Place in a Bear Race, and you can uh, download it and or purchase a uh, physical CD on Bandcamp. Awesome. Yes. Buy, buy the album, stream the album, and we'll be excited to hear you guys perform it live. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for being on. I had a lot of fun chatting with you guys. So yeah. Well, so, yeah. Thank you, Jada. Yeah, and of it's, course. It's been great uh, seeing you out and about um at the different venues and stuff it's always it's great to have someone that appreciates what we're doing of course yeah you guys are you guys are the best love you guys you guys <laughs> are so talented yep thank you jada that's uh it means a lot that you wanted to talk with us that's so cool of course yeah you guys really put out put out tight stuff Thank you for listening to In My Tracks. The show was created and produced by me, your host and friend, Jada Burt. And shout out to Play Audio Agency for producing, recording, and editing the show. And for composing the original theme music you are currently jamming out to. It is truly a labor of love, and I hope you enjoy it. To continue the fun, follow In My Tracks Pod on all social channels. Don't forget to use hashtag In My Tracks Pod to share the songs that stop you in your tracks. Looking to discover even more awesome music? Follow In My Tracks Pod on Spotify for weekly playlists. And please remember to follow the show so you don't miss an episode. And leave a review if you're enjoying it. See you next time.